Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 11. Listen closely because this is an interesting passage. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At the very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered this man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had upon us at the very beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how God had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that God gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles this repentance that leads to life. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth... May the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I remember like it was yesterday, the day I walked into Mrs. Montz's first grade class. And I looked back and saw the pink envelopes that were taped to our cubbies that lined the back wall of the classroom. Leanne Hicks was having her birthday party that weekend. She had been talking about it all week long, and she had said that all the girls in the class would be invited. I scanned the room and saw clusters of girls opening their pink envelopes with excitement. So I rushed over to my cubby as fast as I could get there, pushing my walker in front of me. 
because I had and have a bone disorder that causes my bones to break easily and was recovering from another broken bone, but was so proud that I could finally walk again. Except when I made it over there to my cubby, there was no pink envelope to be found. I thought, surely there had to have been some mistake. Maybe Leanne lost my invitation. Maybe she stuck it in the wrong cubby by mistake. Maybe she dropped it on the way to school. I just couldn't fathom any other alternative to the situation. So I scooted my way over to Leanne and asked if she knew where my pink envelope was. And Leanne looked me dead in the eyes and said, Sorry, my mama says you can't come over to our house because you're crippled. Thirty years later, I still remember that, and I still despise that word. I would imagine that if we were to go around the room today, we might hear story after story about the ways in which you and I have been excluded at different times in our lives. In fact, after our early service this morning, many of you came up and told me, this is what happened to me. And I still remember it all these years later. We've been excluded based on what we look like, our gender, sexual identity, our race or ethnicity, what kind of clothes we wear, how we act, who we love, what we believe, how we live, and the list just goes on and on. But it gets even more painful when we consider the ways we have been excluded by or within the church, by people attempting to draw lines and set boundaries about who is in and who is out, all in the name of God. Barbara Brown Taylor says, as a general rule, I would say that human beings never behave more badly toward one another than when they believe they are protecting God. Or in the words of Arun Gandhi, grandson of Mohandas, people of the book often risk putting the book above the people. And that seems to be what's happening here in the book of Acts, too. After Jesus' resurrection, the disciples get all caught up in trying to figure out who is in and who is out among the people of God. In other words, who is included and who is excluded in the faith? Who are these Easter people that we talk about? Now, up until this point in the Bible, Jews have always been considered in, and Gentiles have always been considered out. Gentiles are often treated as the other or the outsider because they don't follow the right rules or religious traditions. They don't eat the right things. They don't practice circumcision like we read about in today's text. They're often characterized as immoral titles we often put on people we consider to be the other, when in reality they are simply people we do not know or understand. 
Of course, it would be hard for Jewish people to even get to know the Gentiles because according to Jewish law at this time, Jews are to have nothing to do with Gentiles. They aren't to step foot in their houses. They're not even to share a meal with them. Which is why this interesting vision that Peter gets is so fascinating. Because in his weird dream, the Spirit tells him to find these three Gentile men who are looking for him and that he is, quote, not to make a distinction between them and us. Sure enough, not long after the vision, Peter finds these men who tell him that they have been sent to find him by Cornelius, a Roman centurion, another Gentile. And the next thing we know, Peter goes completely against the Jewish law and ends up in the home of this Roman soldier and a bunch of other Gentiles. And as Peter is talking with the very people in whose house his own religion forbids him to be standing, he says to them back in chapter 10, I now realize how true it is that God shows no partiality but accepts from every relationship, everyone who fears God. It's so interesting to me that Peter doesn't come to this full understanding until he's standing face to face with the Gentiles. But maybe that's how it works for most of us, isn't it? As Brene Brown reminds us, people are hard to hate from close up. And so we have to lean in. If you've ever seen the movie Captain Phillips, starring Tom Hanks, I think it does this so well. It's based on the true story of the Marsic, Alabama hijacking in 2009, when a small group of Somali men came aboard and took Captain Richard Phillips hostage during his ship's journey across the Indian Ocean. Now, I'm sure there are plenty of fictional elements to this Hollywood movie, But what makes it so compelling to me is that these characters represent real people. These Somalian men who take over the fish, over the ship, they aren't Darth Vader or Lord Voldemort. In fact, they keep telling Captain Phillips, we're just fishermen. As if to imply, we're not trying to be the bad guys here. And although it's just a brief part of the movie, we are allowed to see part of their story too. They are teenagers living in the slum who were forced into capturing cargo for Somalian warlords who came to their village and threatened their lives and their families' lives. Which caused me to wonder if you or I were in the same condition, would we have done anything differently? There is this great line in the movie when Tom Hanks said to the head pirate, Abdullahi, Why are you doing all this? There has to be more to life than piracy and stealing boats. To which Abdullahi said ever so quietly, maybe in America, but not for me. I share all of this to say how much I love that the directors of Captain Phillips didn't dehumanize the enemy. Something we so often do. Instead of villainizing these Somali men, this movie gives them a name, a face, and a story. 
Because it's so easy for us to have preconceived notions of people and to treat people as the other when we don't even know them. But when they have a name and a face and a story, when they're standing right there in front of us asking why they didn't get an invitation to the party, suddenly treating them as the other becomes so much harder to do, doesn't it? And so standing here face to face with the Gentiles, eager to hear the gospel, Peter is overcome with this idea that perhaps what he's been taught and what he's believed to be true his entire life isn't ever what God intended because the Spirit shows no partiality between them and us. Of course, this is exactly the kind of life that Peter and the disciples saw modeled by Jesus, isn't it? Jesus made no distinctions between the people with whom he shared meals and fellowship, something which often got him in trouble. But even after the resurrection, the disciples are still having a hard time getting it. Perhaps because it's a message we all need to keep hearing over and over and over again, that there is no distinction between them and us which seems to be happening in these first 10 chapters of the book of Acts. At this point, the disciples have encountered the Samaritans and the Ethiopian, and now, Will Wilmon says, Acts has brought us face-to-face with this Roman soldier in a house full of Gentiles so that we may realize the full and, yes, frightening implications of the gospel, that God shows no partiality. Now, we may think this sounds nice, and the sermon could probably end right here. But let's stop and think about it for a moment. I mean, is this really the God that you and I believe in? Is this even the God we want to believe in? Or if we're being honest with ourselves, do we sometimes want to believe in a God who favors us over others? My friend Kendall A pastor back in Waco, Texas, once shared with her church about her experience as a foster parent. Kendall was fostering a baby with plans to adopt her when about 12 months into the process, unforeseen circumstances happened and the baby unexpectedly went to live with another family member instead. It was absolutely heartbreaking for Kendall And it took a lot of courage for her to welcome another foster child several months later. But when she did, she bravely shared with her congregation the following words. She told them, I received a new foster baby this week. And as I was holding her tiny body in my arms, I was praying to God because I don't want to lose another baby. I wanted to somehow secure her in my arms forever with my prayers. But then I remembered. I think I was reminded by the Spirit that there is another parent in the story. A biological one. And she also doesn't want to lose her baby either. And God also loves her and wants her to succeed too. God loves me and doesn't wish for me to experience more loss or more grief, but I'm not the only child of God in the story. And God does not show partiality 
And so I have to believe that God is rooting for us both. Birth mom, foster mom, God loves us all. This is hard, she said, because it means that I can't cling to this baby as only mine right now. I have to accept multiple people as, far, as part of this unfolding story. But I would feel so much safer if it were just this baby and me. And isn't that true for many of us? I think that we too would feel so much safer in life if our circles, our groups, even our churches were just us. Things would feel so much simpler, more comfortable, more secure even if it were just our friends, if it were just the people who look like us and think like us and act like us, if it were just the people who see the world the same exact way that we do. Except when our lives and when our churches begin to look like that, our God just keeps getting smaller and smaller. It's like what writer Anne Lamott says, that you can safely assume you have created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. (laughs) But today's text challenges us to believe that the kingdom of God will not be kept small as comfortable and convenient and simple and safe as that may seem. That God's kingdom includes people we would never expect or imagine to be part of God's family. And our communities become more rich, more full, and more fully reflective of the image of God when they begin to look like that. It's one of the reasons I love being a pastor. One of the reasons I believe so strongly in being part of a faith community. Because together... With people we might never have crossed paths otherwise, we become part of this messy yet beautiful thing I like to call the family of God in this place. Which is exactly what happens as Peter preaches at Cornelius' house that day. Chapter 10 says, The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. One of the best pictures I've seen of a kind of community like this is a place I've shared about before, but it feels worth highlighting again. It's called the Open Circle Theater in Washington, D.C., a friend of mine, Suzanne Richards, started this nonprofit theater company after she kept getting turned down in auditions because of her physical disability. After all, Romeo and Juliet can't be in wheelchairs, or can they? And so Suzanne began to imagine a world in theater that existed outside the boundaries that kept excluding her. And she came up with an idea. She started a nonprofit theater to do high quality creative theater productions in the DC area that provide opportunities for professional theater artists with and without disabilities. 
And our organization has worked to create an environment for both actors and audience that is truly accessible to all people. From the most mainstream theater-going people to those with auditory, visual, physical, and or intellectual disabilities. I love the name of her theater, Open Circle, because it was inspired by a poem I love by Edwin Markham. It's on the front of your bulletin today. He writes, I drew, he drew a circle to shut us out. Heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. I had someone ask me after Friday church this week if anything else happened with the birthday party back in first grade. And I suddenly realized that I often circle back to my beginning story at the end of my sermons, and this time I didn't, because I can't tie this story up with a pink bow. I didn't get an invitation to the party. It went on without me. And to be honest, I know this happened more often than not in ways that I thankfully never paid much attention to. But I did make a friend in third grade whose mom was always committed to making sure I could come over whenever I wanted to. She went out of her way to make sure I felt welcome and safe at her house to find accessible ways for me to participate in whatever she had going on. And I will never forget how she drew a circle that took me in at a time when I needed it the most. Friends, as Easter people, we are called to keep drawing wider and wider circles, to always put the people before the book because there is no distinction between them and us. There is only us and God is rooting for us all, beloved children of God, each and every one of us. And so may we live in a way that shows we believe this to be true. May we keep drawing wider and wider circles, and may we help to bring about a world that looks a little more like that. Amen.